Welcome. Thank you, Reverend David. Uh, so I'm Alex Perlman, and welcome to CSL Olympia on Sunday, August the 23rd. And one of the things that we like to do uh, when we come together is we like to pray. <clears throat> so as a prayer practitioner, I'm often asked, what is a licensed prayer practitioner for Center for Spiritual Living? Well, just like the name sounds, we're licensed by the home office in conjunction with a senior minister or two or more. Uh, after considerable study and service and practicing what practitioners do, which is praying. And so we pray in a particular way. And we do that not in a plaintive voice or beseeching way. Rather, your prayer practitioners pray in a five-step affirmative prayer mode. And we say affirmative prayer because we believe that prayer does not overcome a condition, but it, rather it creates new causation, the outpicturing of which is your desired result, which is maybe the relief or a change away from a condition you're experiencing now. So this morning, this will be our candle and it will remain lit during the service. And so as we pray, if you find your mind wandering, simply let your eyes rest on this candle as a reminder of the light within each one of us that we touch today. And so I invite you right now, in this here and now, to breathe deeply. And as you breathe deeply, know that we are all inspired by that one presence, the one perfect life present inside each one of us right here, right now. God. God is. God is all. God is all there is. God is the creator and the recreator of everything we see and we don't see with our human eyes in the universe. And God is connected to its creation, which is ever evolving and expanding because ongoing connection to its beloved creation is how God moves in, as, and through each one of us. God's love for its creation is self-evident throughout creation. And we can say with a certainty that creation did not cease to happen when the Garden of Eden opened for business. I am a child of God and connected to it in mind, body, and soul. God's truth is my truth. My understanding of truth is ever-expanding just as the universe is expanding. I am a work in progress. My truth helps align me to move me into integrity with the truth that I am one. We are all one. We are all connected to that great life simply called the I am. This is my truth and the truth of all who can hear my voice right here, right now. And so... I will know this truth today for everyone present in our virtual here and now, that God is presence. Its presence is palpable, and it provides the message for this congregation today 
through its love connection to all of us. I am so grateful knowing that Spirit's connection with us, its beloveds, is magnified as we gather together uh, our common energy and intent to make a better world that works for everyone, all people, from all nations. I am grateful to know love and connection in all that is mine to do today and in the days to come. I am grateful for this day, for Reverend David and the message that he delivers today. And so I simply release these words into the automatic action of the universal law. I call it good and ask you to join me in saying, and so it is. So good morning. We are in our fourth of five Sundays looking at inclusion in action. That's our monthly theme that we're looking at. And today we're looking at the idea of better together. We're better together. And if, if infinite intelligence had wanted to, it could have created it the universe in such a way that each of us would have our own planet to live on. But that infinite intelligence as us chose and continues to choose to all be here together on this one planet. You know, all, um, is it 5,000 or 6,000 people on the planet now? I forget. Maybe, or maybe it's like 7.5 billion or something like that. But we're all here together. And perhaps there's a reason for that. Perhaps the reason is that, that, as we take this month to look to to think about the unity that's expressing as the multiplicity, we get to recognize that all of us in our multiplicity are one of an infinite oneness, and at the same time, simultaneously, we are individualized expressions of that oneness, and thus each of us is sacred exactly as we are. You know, I'm sitting here looking out my back door window many of you have been to my house and you know kind of a little bit of the view and i'm looking at all the plant life that's out here there's there's on the bottom there's my um herb garden and then above that there's a, a kind of a hanging basket that's got a number of beautiful flowers in it. and then if i look beyond that there are orchard trees you know of different colors there's plums and pears and an apple tree and a fig tree and Beyond that, there's deciduous trees, I believe, are oaks. And beyond that, there are these magnificent firs that tower up into the sky. And all of them are one of the one. All of them are different variations of that. No true, two of the trees are alike. When I say the firs, there's no one, you know, standard fir, and then, you know, everything else is modeled off of that, cloned off of that. There's a variety of firs. There's a variety of orchard trees. And in fact, they change year to year. Some of them change month to month, you know. And so we're all part of that oneness. We're all part of that oneness expressing as a beautiful multiplicity. And all of it, all of us, are sacred. And there are those who know this just truly, truly deeply know this and live moment by moment this way. And there are those who haven't got a clue 
that we're all one and that this multiplicity is good. And most of us are somewhere in between. And so we're here to work out the balance of our individuality, our individual desires, and our group purposes as a whole, greater than the desires of any individual in the group. Excuse me a minute. Ernest Holmes says that the criterion for anyone's desires isn't found in someone else's judgment or approval or disapproval or what they think we should or shouldn't want, but it's found in listening to our authentic wisdom self and asking ourselves this question about anything that we desire. Does the thing I wish to express to do express more life, more happiness, more peace to myself and at the same time harm no one? Harm no one. See, we don't live in a vacuum. We don't create in a vacuum. We are, we are not, there's nothing as we looked at individual about us. As John Muir said, I quoted this a couple of weeks ago, when we try to pick out anything by itself, we find it hitched to everything else in the universe. Those of you who are familiar with the metaphor of, of Indra's net from the Hindu practice, the, the, the jewels at each point, each connection of the web, each one reflecting and expressing all the others simultaneously. We are connected. There's no such thing as I have an individual desire that's separate from the rest of creation. There's just what wants to express through me of the whole. And so while we're not responsible for another person's feelings or judgments, we are responsible to them to be respectful and caring as we manifest our own desires. John Muir's quote also reminds us that we are connected to everything and everyone. We, we see the polarization expressed by those, for an example, you know, currently for those who refuse to wear masks because they claim it violates their individual freedom, which it does. But there are also those who are willing to set aside personal inconvenience for a greater good of the whole. And who aren't so worried about does it impinge on my personal freedom, but they recognize that we we are part of a greater whole. When Jesus said there's no greater love than to lay down your life for your friends, he was talking about setting aside a self-centered point of view, an isolated, just me point of view, for the greater good of the larger community. Now, this does not mean that we become codependent doormats, by the way. This doesn't mean that, oh, I have no desires. There's nothing I want. I'm only here to serve everyone else. doesn't mean that. In fact, that's usually a sign of kind of low self-worth, low self-esteem if, for people who are doing that. But rather, it calls for an understanding of when to set aside personal agendas for the good of the larger group. There's a time for personal agendas. There's a time for what's good for the larger group and to know the balance, to, to make that dance of that balance and recognizing that ideally my good is the good of the whole and the good of the whole is my good. Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. said that our goal is to create a beloved community, and this will require a qualitative change in our souls as well as a quantitative change in our lives. A quality, qualitative change, the quality of our souls, the quality of our essence of how we are in the world, as well as a quantitative change in our lives, of how we live our lives in the external. So it's an inner and an outer process. 
Reverend Jim Lockhart describes the beloved community as this way. He says, the beloved community is a collection of individuals who are learning how to love themselves, one another, and the universe. One of the things I love about this particular CSL Olympia community is that we embody this to a great degree. It's a place where we do love ourselves, where we do love each other and out beyond just the circle, the line, as Buffy was talking about in our, in our pre-service meditation of justice community, but we love out beyond that. And so when we do this, when we live this way, we experience a sense of belonging. We experience a sense of belonging, a sense of safety, which is something that is, that is core to our essence, core to what we, how we as human beings want to be. And we experience the magnificence of ourselves, both individually and collectively. My own spiritual magnificence, my own magnificence, and my magnificence within the group and the group's magnificence, each other's magnificence. So we make room, we have room for all of that. We, and it's not a me or you, it's a me and you. Excuse me, I just lost my quote place there. So the King Center, Dr. Coretta uh, Scott King, uh, Dr. Uh, Martin Luther King's widow says, Dr. King's beloved community, is a global vision in which all people can share in the wealth of the earth. In the beloved community, poverty, hunger, and homelessness will not be tolerated because international standards of human decency will not allow it. Racism and all forms of discrimination, bigotry, and prejudice will be replaced by an all-inclusive spirit of sisterhood and brotherhood. That is what we're going for. That is what we're aiming for. You know, studies show that people who are in the lowest uh, social hierarchy experience greater health challenges and have shorter lifespans. You know, we used to think that that, that person, that hard-charging person at the top, you know, who's running the thing, the uh, corporation or something like that, would have the most stress. But studies show that that's actually not true, that it's actually the opposite that is true. People in the lower, lowest social hierarchy have the greatest stress the highest level of stress hormones. And when racism is added as a factor, the stress hormones and, and all the associated diseases go up even more due to the need for constant hypervigilance. If I'm living as a minority person, as an oppressed person in a society where some people will I'm safe with and some people I'm not and I don't know who's my friend and who's my foe, you know, we need that hypervigilance. Some of us grew up in homes that required hypervigilance from, from our parents, you know, about our parents or about, you know, what was going on in our life around that. And to live day to day all your life in a state of needing hypervigilance just because of the color of your skin or perhaps your nationality or your religious views raises tremendously our stress hormones. So the changes needed require a significant shift in our in how our culture operates, and particularly in the steeply hierarchical societies like the United States. Some of the European societies have flattened out those hierarchies. There's not that big shift. But we have quite a gap between those who have and those who have not. We have quite a bit of gap and polarization in, in so many ways. 
And so how do we as individuals support such change? On the level of the human, we take actions, we do, we vote, we help, help raise other people from, you know, from the conditions they're in. You know, we, we support the locally here, the Interfaith Works, which does not just, it doesn't provide just a fish, it teaches people to fish. It lifts people up out of their current conditions so that they can live more full lives. It lifts them up on the social hierarchy. And that study that showed that the lowest says that every incremental up, the stress levels go down. Every increment up, the stress levels go down. As we look at what's, what's the world, what our culture is like today, may feel overwhelming and out of reach when we just look at that from the human level. But we as spiritual practitioners, and we all are, know there is another level. You know, I was reading in, in uh, Emma Curtis Hopkins this morning, and, and uh, as she talked about you know, God turned Saul, who is going to oppress the Jews, into Paul. God changed that consciousness from a consciousness of animosity and being against and polarization into a consciousness of identification and belonging. There's a spirit within us. There's a spirit that's greater than us that can... that can do this as we invoke it. You know, a tapestry is created by weaving horizontal threads, which are known as the weft, uh, in through the vertical threads, which are called the warp. And eventually, when we do that, the warp disappears behind the weft. And yet, it's the underlying structure that holds the tapestry together. We can get lost looking at just the weft of life, the, the surface level appearances, forgetting that there's a spirit back of and within this life back of and within these appearances. Our current state in the world can't be resolved only at the level of appearance, the weft. That's the level where it was created. So we have to do some sort of, of a deeper shift. As Dr. King said, this is going to take a qualitative change of our souls. It's going to take a deeper turning to and an application of the infinite presence of spirit. In the book, Living the Science of Mind, Ernest Holmes talks about group treatment. And here's what he says about that. He says, when a group of people come together with one accord and one thought, a greater power is generated. It's generated not because creative principle responds to a number of people more than it does to one, but because the combined faith of a group reaches a higher level of acceptance within the group. That as we allow our own acceptance to merge into, to, to join with the acceptance of others, we, we both know the truth for ourselves and we lean into the faith of others. He says, the best results are gained when all members join in treating for the purpose of reaching a higher state of consciousness. Meditate on the concept that there is one presence, one perfect life, which is right here one divine intelligence guiding and governing, not for any particular or specific purpose, but just to imbibe the spirit of wholeness itself, to enter more largely into a complete acceptance of peace, of poise, and of power. And so we treat, when we treat in a, in a group treatment, we don't treat for a specific purpose outcome, but we treat to know 
the truth at a deeper level. Because as we know the truth at a deeper level, that truth at the deeper level is embodied in human consciousness more fully. And it expresses and it shows up more fully. And this is what we, as religious scientists, do best. We pray. We have, as Alex did a wonderful a wonderful uh, outlining of the five-step treatment and the, and the process of that. We pray. And we also move our feet after we treat, after we do a spiritual mind treatment. And yet we begin with this prayer, with this spiritual mind treatment. We begin there. And we begin by knowing the truth of harmony in the face of the appearance of disharmony. We begin by looking at what looks like the appearance and know that there's something deeper underneath that. In a moment, I'm going to read a, a quote from Dr. King, and which, which kind of gives us a vision, a, a consciousness to work with, an embodiment to work with. And then we're going to close this, this talk by moving into group prayer. And the way I'm going to do that is I'm going to invite our practitioners to unmute themselves, and they're going to join with me as we create what's called a chamber of prayer. And those of you who are familiar with spiritual mind treatment and feel comfortable doing a spiritual mind treatment, I invite you to also do spiritual mind treatment, but remain muted so we don't have so many voices that, that you know, it, it you know, crashes the system. And for those who are unfamiliar with spiritual mind treatment, I invite you to just listen and to just know, to take it in, to imbibe the fulfillment of the idea of the global beloved community to sit with and allow yourself to be part of that. As Buffy said earlier, to let our, our, our lines of our circles dissolve. And so this week's spiritual practice then will be to pray and know this idea of divine wholeness, of divine oneness uh, daily. So I invite you to take that on as a spiritual practice. So the quote from Dr. King He's talking about the end, the, the, the goal, the idea in, that he has in mind. So he says the end is reconciliation. The end is redemption. The end is creation of the beloved community. It is this type of spirit and this type of love that can transform opponents into friends. It is this type of understanding goodwill that will transform the deep gloom of the old age into the exuberant gladness of the new age. It is this love which will bring about miracles in the hearts of people. And so I invite you to take a breath with me. I'm going to invite our practitioners to join with me. And we're going to do a collective spiritual mind treatment about this love, about this global community, this beloved community, about this transformation of separation and discord into harmony and into this expression of connectedness. So I invite our practitioners to join with me as I say, I know that there is only one life. I know there is one life. And that life, that is, life God. is God's life. life. Is the only life there is. That life is perfect. That life, that is, life is my life. That life is pure love right here and right now. That is my life right now. And that life, being that life is connection. And in connection we find love. In connection we find peace. And in creation we find peace. And in creation balance and peace and abundance and support. We find community, family, and 
spring is all to connect. There isn't the love of God. One spirit, I know that this connection carries grace and grateful to know that this ease connection one that loves us present in me and all who hear my I'm grateful for this time together. And love. To know peace in my life and I am grateful to be a grateful community. So grateful this time together. そして、そして、そして、そして、そして、そして、そして、そして、そして、そして、そして、そして、そして、そして、そして、そして、そして、そして、そして、そして、そして、そして、そして、そして、そして、そして、そして、そして、そして、そして、そして、そして、そして、そ